Welcome to the Association 4.0 podcast, your association's no-fluff playbook to navigating and thriving in Industry 4.0 or the digital marketplace. Each week, we bring expert insights to help you and your association stay ahead of the curve. Hello, my name is Sherry Budziak, and I'm the host of the Association 4.0 podcast. I am also co-founder of .org Community and founder and CEO of .org Source, a consultancy to associations. Today, my guest is Joey Connect. Joey is the CEO and managing director of Proteus.co. Proteus Collective Solutions are founded on science and applied to relationship-driven business growth across the globe. Proteus is rooted in academia, originally created by two professors in the University of Nebraska Lincoln Computer Science Department. Dr. Don Nelson and Dr. Mulan Chen recognized a distinct need for software that bridges collaboration across a network of users. Joey says that their technology is always evolving alongside these core principles, backed by a team of developers and business professionals dedicated to driving innovation and success for our partners. They operate on a model of honesty, integrity, and long-term relationships dedicated to success. And I'm so excited to talk with you. Thanks so much for joining me. Barry, how are you? Good to talk to you again. Good, good. So, hey, Joy, why don't you kind of tell the audience a little bit about your background and yeah. about the company? Yeah, so how time flies. I, I, I've been now with Proteus for, I think, 24 years now. Started out as an intern, so that dates me a little bit there, right? But started mm -hmm. out as an intern and they kept me, but it's been a great run for us. So as you mentioned in your lead-in, you know, we've just always been about the spirit of innovation and continuous growth. And, and obviously technology is at the forefront of that. So our firm has always been involved in developing and building products for corporations that want to better enhance communication, collaboration processes, et cetera. And then we also have quite a few products ourselves that we sell to many different industries, associations, foundations, healthcare, you name it, manufacturing. So we have a pretty large breadth of visibility into different types of industries and environments. And it's really been exciting for us. We have multiple product lines, people all throughout the country, but at the core, and, and Sherry, when you and I first met probably 10 years ago at an innovation event, you know, our methodology and process is always about finding problems and then identifying, are there ways to innovate around that to provide ROI and opportunities? And I know for many of your listeners here, this spirit of innovation and or pressure to provide value is beginning to hit more and more so these purpose-driven organizations, right? They're not immune to basically what we would say in the commercial world is ROI, return on investment for that pressure and why is really coming to these purpose-driven groups. They're challenged with innovation, providing value, which not that they weren't before, but it's forcing them to think differently. I would assume many of your audience knows also COVID just probably expedited this even more so. It went from a maybe a 10-year to 15-year transformation pressure, probably was now collapsed down to a five-year, six-year period, which I, I think is a shock to the system. Absolutely. Yeah. And we are seeing that this challenges a lot on the consulting side of the work that we do. So Joey, you know, would we interviewed you for our book. You had so many interesting insights on entrepreneurship and problem solving. Have your ideas kind of changed post-pandemic and with the expansion of AI? And I don't know, I'm interested in what you're thinking about today. You've always yeah. got some great thoughts. 
Yeah, you know, the spirit of innovation, I think AI and generative AI, which is what most people are talking about today, you know, has been around for quite a while. So Mm -hmm. when you're in the technology field like we are, AI has been leveraged by many of the top companies that Amazon and others have been leveraging AI for a while now from a commercial or software perspective with your recommendation engines and content engines and all your social media products have all been leveraging that. But where generative AI kind of jumped the shark, if we want to go happy days, right, where Fonzie jumping the shark, where AI really kind of got to mainstream, where everyday individuals now say the word AI and investing in AI companies is because generative AI really created a layer where everyday individuals can now see the benefits of AI. Does that make sense? They understand they're interacting with it. And AI to them is now something real, where it used to be pixie dust and their kid might have talked about it, you know, and they're like, I don't understand what that is. But now people are seeing everyday impact where maybe they're writing an email and having, you know, chat GPT rewrite it for them in a more eloquent manner. They're seeing the benefits and they're like, wow, I could apply this to so many other things. So with the launch of chat GPT, uh, specifically, I think three, five, now I think four row is out now. Well, it is. Yeah. You know, that really has opened the everyday American to the technology. So now it's a mad dash to apply that technology to every single area of the business to help with repetitive tasks, you know, things like that to reduce cost pressures, things of that nature. So there is a big bump, obviously, in in AI technology, but still the underlying principles of innovation. Think of AI as just a tool to help with the innovation, right? It's not the only piece of the innovation model or software that is being released. What you're seeing is tons of technologies that are already out there, then leveraging AI more effectively to do that. So in like a donor management system or a contact management system or whatever it is, or a process system, you can now feed in way more data inputs and help make more effective decisions. But the act of asking for donations or communicating with members, that still all has to happen. But now you're able to layer in maybe additional levels of intelligence to make that more effective and more meaningful. So for us, innovation-wise, it's a land grab. It's still, you know, everybody's looking to do things more effectively and reduce their costs of, of making that happen. And I think you and I have dialogued in the past. There's also, for many organizations, purpose-driven or not, the expectations of their customers or members has completely changed, right? And that paradigm shift of what you expect when you're working with a foundation, a membership group, whatever it might be, you right now... Sherry, as we're talking, you could order a pizza right now and you're going to watch in real time that pizza get made where it is. You're going to see it's around the corner from your house. And that's on an $8 transaction, $8, right? You're going to go on to Amazon and you're going to spend $2.50 buying a coffee cup and you're going to watch that and you can return it and do all this stuff. So the use of technology by the everyday person, their expectations have leveled up substantially because they're like, can't you just do that like Amazon or Pizza Hut or whatever, you know, name your brand, name your experience. And the problem is, is so many of these industries are not even close to that. So there's a massive disconnect in expectations and value transfer in the experiences that they're providing. Because if you're a member-based group purpose, B2B, whatever it is, or B2C, doesn't matter. Any one of those experiences, the expectations of the customers of what value and that that, that should be in real time. And I should be able to consume what I want that is personalized to me. 
I can make that pizza however the hell I want. I can put pineapples on it, anchovies. Sure, whatever you want to do, right? I know you have Netflix, Sherry. I don't have to ask you, why do you want Netflix? It's on demand and you can personalize it to yourself. So ask yourself if you're a foundation, if you're a membership-based group, purpose-driven B2B or B2C, doesn't matter. Those are now the expectations of your customers. And there's a big lag in a lot of the technologies that are out there to provide that. Does that make sense, Sherry? Kind of the rule. Oh, yeah. That's, that's a- Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I always say like, so I have a 17-year-old and a 22-year-old and you look at how they've grown up and we always in yep. the association space talk about how are we going to engage these younger members? Like we've been saying that for 20 years. It doesn't matter about a pre-pandemic, post-pandemic. We've, that's what we've always said, right? With our technology. But to your point, like the experience and the expectations of just how we live and then how they've lived, like they've never not had a cell phone. They know exactly when they purchase something, when it is going to be there. And their expectation is it better be there when, you know, whatever app tells them it's going to be there. And we're doing it ourselves too. Like it's been freezing here in Chicago. And I was like, okay, here's my options. I have a client meeting downtown. I can drive, right? And then I can pay $85 for parking. Mm, I don't know. I could take the train, I could freeze, or I can just find an Uber and then be in a nice warm car and get dropped off. And actually it's cheaper than parking downtown. Like I weighed all those things. And to your point, like now I know exactly why my Uber is going to be there. I, you know, I can track everything. Somebody else can track me where I am, you know, all of those things and that convenience. Right. And so then, you know, then we're looking at, you know, for associations and the value. And I and I think we have to also look at, so what are those experiences for, you know, those on-site meetings and, and all of those things that, you yep. know, they're still experiences, but yep. the ease of being able to yep. get the things that you want. I don't know. Um, well, and you got the environmental pressures there, right? Like you were just saying like events, right? We have products in healthcare. We have products in financial services, right? Like we have products in a lot of different verticals. And when we talk to individuals, like I'll use the use case of maybe financial services, right? There's many associations and member groups for financial services, right? Well, you know, for years and years, a lot of the meetup events and those types of things were for continuing education and getting people together for great speakers, right? And you go every year to Vegas, Chicago, you know, Nashville, pick your enterprise, you know, city. But the paradigm shift, and this is where it's kind of funny, not funny, but the reality of technology and its role is when COVID hit and everybody's kids had to switch to pretty much online learning, then it started to be like, well, I can do all this online and I can do a lot. I can learn a lot of my continuing education credits online. I have pressure in my personal life that I'm very busy. And so maybe going to Vegas for four days isn't the best use of my additional time because I already have a lot of pressures for my time. And so can I do a lot of things online and get that completed instead of doing that? So there's this time management element and also the digital experience, right? You and I remember the original online training yeah. or the original, on, they were horrible, right? And you right. could easily say like that wasn't a good experience. But as the focus and energy of technology, AI, video, augmented reality, right? All of these emerging technologies that are really transforming the individual's experience and that that individual's experience can be much more tailored to their problems or needs. When you listen to a speaker for an hour, maybe in an hour, only 18 minutes of his or her presentation was actually relevant to you. The rest you felt like you knew about or was okay, 
But that 18 minutes, and you want to dive deeper into those 18 minutes, that's very hard in traditional delivery systems, aka speakers, you know, things of that nature. So there's a big shift that that is happening, and it's affecting all of these areas because the consumption model of information, the consumption model of certification, the consumption model of just all data for individuals is really being pressured with new technology and consumption models, which is affecting, and I think me and you have seen it and with different groups, that that's greatly affecting their ability to recruit and keep members. Joey, I've always talked about whether it's been the web or whatever the new technology was at the time, really thinking about what is that user experience or as you said, like the consumption of it, like what is that experience? We recently had an event. It was interesting because you spoke for us kind of when we started .org community and we were doing Zoom back then. Like, okay, you want to come online, just be on Zoom. And there was a few people that did that. After 2020, we said, okay, now people are consuming these online events differently. So let's take a pause. Let's not do that and have a bad experience. And then we had what we considered a hybrid meeting, this last event that we did. That took a lot of thinking and a lot of work. It's like, what's the person that's sitting? And then also the coordination of people got sick right before the meeting. So they wanted to switch to the virtual and that was fine and all of these things. But we had a whole team of people that were in the online platform. And at one point, the internet, like for, I don't know three, four minutes, we lost connection, but the people on the online were able to carry on the meeting and they, they like pivoted and it was, it was great, but it took a lot of thinking, right? Like around like, what is that experience going to be? Well, it's, it's funny how sometimes too, just to take that even further, sometimes it's with all the emergence of new technologies and experiences, sometimes the old school way of doing things really resonates. The joke I would say always like in sales or something nowadays, right? If you receive a personally written letter about an engagement that you've done that is handwritten, you're blown away about that, right? Which is how far back is that, right? That's like old school of old school, but it works, right? So that's the art. There's a balance here. People are desiring efficiency and effectiveness, but then they also still want a high level of personalization and feel like you care about them, right? And so there's this bridge there that you have to delicately dance because if it's just our pure digital, you're not necessarily developing that meaningful relationship that you desire, but then there are still ways to do that. We always joke that there's like the old school way of doing it sometimes is a great way to penetrate a relationship or an opportunity because it shocks people because what? Like literally you wrote me a letter? Is this the 1800s, right? But it works. That's what we always are talking about too is everybody has a thousand text messages, a thousand emails, you know, a thousand DMs. Yeah. You're just lost in the mix there. So sometimes penetrating to build relationship and to drive new opportunities is something maybe go to the basket of old school frequently can help you in that line also. Yeah. As you're talking about that, I have the CEO who, when she pays our invoices, she puts a piece of paper and she writes either a note or she says, thanks or whatever. And I'm so excited. I know she's going to do it. (laughs) And I'm so excited. The first time was kind of like a shock. I'm like, okay, this is kind of old school, but that's nice. Right. Like that's really nice. And then now I'm like, so excited. I was like, Oh, I got a note from Christine. It was so exciting. Yeah, and that's that's the balance, right? Like that, that's the balance. I'm not a big social media person myself. You know, you can say all you want in social media. It's, you know, click, click, boom. That's not real impressive, you know, but bringing flowers home or whatever it might be, right? It's going that old school, that extra step sometimes it can really with key relationships or key partners or 
whatever it might be, can really separate the relationship process in general. So, Joey, what do you think are like kind of the most exciting things or, you know, over the next few years? And will those the, things impact the industry? The overarching macros that I'm looking at and many other, because we're investors in a lot of software companies too and products. And so as we're looking at emerging technology investments, trend lines, things mm -hmm. of that nature, you need to step back and realize that finally, at least we'll, we'll talk about North America here, emerging markets, there's different types of opportunities. But in North America right now, finally, the infrastructure of wireless technologies and connectivity is getting very close to the level that it needs to be to deliver a lot of these complex services, right? You look at a Starlink rural all connected, amazing connectivity rates with Starlink. If anybody listening to the podcast is in a rural area or doesn't have good internet options, you'll be amazed what's possible now for a fair rate. Also, your 5G, your infrastructure is all there, right? So to create a lot mm -hmm. of technical experiences, you need to have reliable infrastructure. Of course, you said the internet went down in your presentation. That's classic. Like I think yeah. that's just part of your part of how it goes, right? You're either doing a demo or a presentation yeah. <laughs> and then you never lose your internet until those two, exactly. those two circumstances. But first is the infrastructure. So everybody then now at the tip of their finger now has access to, so like ChatGPT and a lot of these generative AIs, right? They all work on taking an input on your phone, but it has to go through the internet and then come back, right? There's new innovation that is being worked on with AMD and many of the other chip ones where you're going to be able to do AI on a local level, on the chip level. So you're going to be able to do quite a bit of processing and language model and a lot of things right on your phone. So there's a lot of infrastructure that is now getting to the point where you can deliver these richer experiences, right, through your phone, through headsets, whatever it might be, right? And it's just one medium of being able to deliver a service. So for what we're seeing, how much in B2B or member engagement or anything is how much is done through mobile technologies, through the phone, and really being able to do that reliably is a big breakthrough. I know it sounds very old school, like, well, we've had phones forever, Joey, but really think about in your daily consumption model, business-wise, not personal, social media, how much of the business's activities, engagements are, are going to be happening via your phone and obviously layering in those experiences with proximity where you're at, obviously with a lot of AI to understand for these personalized experiences. As you walk around, we know where you are. Everything's going to be personalized, whether that's in the office, on the, the floor of the manufacturer, you know what I'm getting at. So yeah. these these customized experiences is where everything is going, whether it's personalized medicine to personalized vacations to you've heard the stories, of course, of interacting with AI in your house. And you're like, you know what? It's snowing. You were just mentioning how horrible the weather is in uh, Chicago, right? You know, well, we could simply get off here and now you can just go to Alexa and just say in the next three weeks, I like to go to Cancun. My budget is $1,000. I like to be there for three days and I want to bring my friend Jessica. And the technology can do that now. And it can be connected to your bank account and it will present to you tomorrow morning three trip options. You say option A, it will take your money, book your tickets, do everything it's done. They are beta testing that everywhere already, right? Like the future of interaction, the future of dialogue, processing, doing all this stuff is going to greatly change. And whether that's through a home device, through your phone. So from a membership purpose-driven group, rethinking just how you're engaging with the members is really the big challenge. Because again, if I can book my trips that way, well, then how do I engage with maybe thought leadership that way, right? Mm -hmm. How do I engage with other things related to my industry that way? And so there's a big push and all of these technologies, think of them as tools, how they're used, 
by each industry or, or business goal is going to be different, right? Vastly different. And so that's where we see a lot of the opportunity is still process refinement, still experience-based, but there are a lot of new technologies because of access to internet and your phones. And then of course, AI language models, generative AI, other AIs, not just generative from the tech side, but just other experience-based, the ability to process zillions and zillions of pieces of data points, and then being able to present you that in a way that you can consume is, is really where the breakthroughs are. So we're certainly faced with a lot of ongoing change and transformation. So what are your strategies that can help leaders become better change managers? I think that's a real challenge for yeah. us in the association space. Probably know where I'm going to go with this, but a lot of the times companies, associations, a lot of times they don't know what they don't know. And so one of the philosophies that has worked very, very well for us and our partners and everybody that we try to share is what do your customers want? What do your members want? And how do members want to be engaged? We would call that a, in the B2B space, that's called a customer advisory board. In a purpose-driven group, that's going to be your member advisory group or you know other, other groups like that. But a lot of it is understanding how and what do they want to be consuming of value and what areas of value can you provide them? And building a strategy around that and then figuring out what technologies need to be used. I think, Sherry, the, this land grab of AI is hilarious. Like if you go to any website now, it's all powered by AI and you're like, AI yeah. for what? Like right. so a lot of a lot of <laughs> companies kind of jump the shark and just want to find software and a tool instead of understanding what are we trying to achieve and the why. And so from a strategy perspective, it's understanding your customer first, understanding what valuable services we could provide to you, hence ROI, and then testing multiple ideas around that because a lot of them will fail. Mm -hmm. Just the reality, a lot of them will fail. So control the experiments. We would call those experiments. Control the experiments, measure them. And out of those experiments, two or three facilitate out into a real opportunity for member engagement creation what whatever it might be. At that point, you then start to figure out what the technology, what the delivery mechanisms would be, what the experience might be around that. Does that make sense? It's oh, absolutely find yeah. the value first. But so many of these groups, they're shopping for software or technology. Yeah. And you're like, for what? For and what? That's why, yeah. For what? Like for what what is and, and then who's going to run this and what's the business model, the strategy? Because the investment on the software is nothing. For software to be valuable there needs to be a business model and a financial commitment around it to execute it to some sort of level, right? It's like, you know, if you were building a company from scratch and you built this product and you're like, we're going to put all of our money into product. And you're like, what are you doing for marketing and sales? You're like, nothing. Well, then why would you build the product? Like, Yeah. I mean, it right? happens all the time. Like I'll get a call from a CEO and they're like, Sherry, we need a new X. And I'm like, right. why? Exactly. It's probably not the best business model for me to say why, but I always do. I'm like, why? Why do you need that? Right. I'm like, what technology do they have? And they say, oh, we have X, Y, Z. And I'm like, okay, there's like 10,000 people that use XYZ, fine. Like, exactly. wh why are we going with this? Or they'll say, oh, we need an LMS. Mm -hmm. Why? Right. Why? And they're like, oh, because our board said we need an LMS. I'm like, right. okay, great. So you have any content? Well, no. no. Do you have a business exactly. model behind it? Well, no. Yeah. And then they'll yeah. still go ahead and proceed with getting whatever. Yeah. And then two years from now, call me up and say, well, that failed because... I'm like, yeah, because there's no business model behind it. hundred <laughs> percent. Uh, and, and, you know, the, the, the tough, the tough question on those conversations, and we've, we've had thousands of them is what is the definition of success to you? I'm talking to a leader, right? So you're yeah. talking to foundation leader, membership leader, whatever it might be, CEO, managing director. And so great. We're going to roll an LMS. Great, Sarah. 
what is the definition of success to you in two years on this project? What is it? How do we know that this has been a higher ROI for the organization? And many of these leaders have no idea. Yeah, they have no idea. They, they think it's something we have to do because others are doing it. And yeah. it, it's like a Joneses kind of thing. But the reality is, is the Joneses are failing themselves. So great. So, so it's getting on the Titanic as it's going down <laughs> because other people are still on it, right? Like that's exactly. not the way that it works, right? And so by design, an association or a membership group has members. Those members are distinctly different than other members. So members in association A and in industry A maybe want an LMS because the nature of the industry and the needs and of them, that makes perfect sense, right? But the other membership group, maybe not. Maybe there are other mechanisms for them to consume that content and other things that do it better than your group does now. And the members like it consuming that way. Don't try to compete, try to innovate in how can we be complementary or provide additional or new services that these other things are not providing, right? And that innovation has to come with a high level of humility that yeah, maybe we sure. aren't the best at this. Maybe we aren't doing this the best, right? Like if I were to create a search engine today, I think you and I would probably say Google is probably better, right? Because of just the experience they have and the infrastructure and a lot of stuff. Now that doesn't mean I couldn't create a search engine. I like boats. So maybe I would take that search engine and make it highly specific for individuals who are into boating. Well, then maybe that's a separation strategy for me because I can present a different experience to those because voters like to search for certain things, right? Or whatever, right? It's just an anecdote. So I think that's part of the innovation process is really heavily talking with your members, understanding what they like from you into a for-profit business, you know, or any kind of business. Hopefully you're tracking some sort of metrics of performance, P&L, something of showing where the members are engaging the most and trying to focus on your strengths. We were just having a call the other day with a client about this. They were saying like, what do you do? I said, well, it's just like buying clothes. You accentuate what you believe is good. You hide what you believe is not good. So it's the same thing in business, right? Dress to impress and accentuate what you think your members like the most, right? And invest into that and build strategies around that and work with them on that. A loss is a loss. Stop focusing on the problems or the things that are dying. They're dying. Confirm that they're dying and kill it. Get rid of it. Take yeah. those assets. Take those money. Take that time. Most important, there's money and time. And time is probably, it is not probably, it's the most important. Because when you're losing members or trying to find it's, it's speed to delivery, which is going to be the differentiator. And really invest in the positive things and the things that will grow. And it's hard because, again, it's a reflection of your own performance, right? It's a reflection of your own organization. What are we doing good? What are we not doing well? It also sometimes has to be mission statement of the organization or some of the things might be deeply tied to something, but that something is no longer valid. Things have changed. And so sometimes it's a bigger shift. I sit on many nonprofit boards, national boards, and you know some of the metamorphosis of some of these organizations that i sit on is truly transforming the business models entirely because yeah. the technology and society has shifted from x to y you know what i mean and as the org we have to make a commitment even redoing the board to yeah. better reflect the innovation or where we're going as a group it's a leadership but it's also just the culture of the organization has to be all in on we need to have change and build out that strategy based on what your customers want, not what you want. A lot of times what you want has nothing to do with what your member wants. Yeah, we were having this conversation with a, 
CEO the other day about they're upset with marketing and complaining about, you know, there's not enough butts and seats for the meeting. And when we looked at the value and the, the amount of time, as you said, the amount of time that it was taken to market, there was other programs that are profitable. We're like, well, why are you doing this? Like, why are you even worrying about 250 people at a meeting? They're like, well, we have to, because our leaders want that. We're like, okay, that's fine. You can still take a loss and have the meeting, but don't focus your energy there. Like, It's a lost leader. It's never going to. And you know, instead of asking me to go to Nashville for three days, you want me to go to Nashville for one day, but I can consume two of the earlier pieces online, right? Or a piece before an in-person and then a post, right? Other ways of delivering it where people's time and energy can be optimized. That's a KYC right there. That's a know your customer issue right there. Know your customer KYC issue right there. 100%. I mean, they're making a decision because the ROI is not there. They might like what you're doing. But the consumption model of it isn't in a way that fits within their environments, right? And especially now, I mean, if you're an industry group too, right now, if you're a nonprofit or a purpose-driven group in an industry, you also have to step out and understand there's a lot of economic pressure right now to reduce costs, travel way down, right? Everything way down. I might have gone to that thing for 1500 bucks, but the reality is, is my corporation won't allow me to do that anymore because there's massive restrictions in, on expense. So that's what you have to know your customer kind of ecosystem and adapt to environmental problems, delivery models, consumption models, just like you were talking about, like we do the event live, but then also have virtual, right? And so Joey, what do you think are kind of the most important responsibilities for CEOs in this digital era? Stop spending money on software because you think it solves a problem. You need to know your problem and then invest in the right technology to solve that problem. That is what a return on investment looks like. And software will cause you more problems then it will solve. And that's, I've been in this industry a long time and software does not solve people's problems. Software mostly creates problems. Where it actually helps an organization is when the organization has a clear focus and a strategy around how the software is going to be implemented, then executed, run, and then has clear vision on how I measure the impact of that to my membership, right? Or to whatever the constituents are. And it's much more strategy-minded than software-minded. Right. Software. I mean, I'll just parallel. And so we're integrated with Salesforce. We do a lot with Salesforce. But globally, globally, 75 percent of CRM deployments fail. Seventy five percent of CRM deployments fail. And you ask yourself, how is that possible? Well, it's because somebody was at a luncheon and said, we have a CRM. And Bob comes back and says to Tiffany, Tiffany, do we have a CRM? And then Tiffany and Bob are like, we need a CRM because XYZ group has a CRM. And so it's the Joneses. We all need a CRM. Well, what are you using the CRM for? What is the purpose of it? Do you really need a CRM or do you need a X or a Y or, a, you know, what, whatever it might yeah. be, just paralleling it. So a lot of it is just understanding your association first. And what are the three things I would dare say, what are the one or two things you can do in 24 and 25? Because it takes a little runway. Know your customer, know what services and deliverables they're looking to receive from you and equip yourself with the right infrastructure to do that in that order, not software first, then figure out how we're going to do this. And that's what you're seeing kind of globally with this AI is everybody's throwing AI into everything. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, I don't know if that was really needed. You know what I mean? Or, you know, it's, it's just throwing technology 
at a problem. And if your culture of your company sucks and you throw a lot of AI into it, that's not going to change anything anyway. <laughs> no, <exactly. laughs> you know what that's I mean? Like, like yeah. you know, AI doesn't solve all your problems. It's very good from a marketing perspective. Every single company in the world is going to try to tell you you need AI now. But for you as a leader, from a CEO to CEO perspective, it's not about AI. AI can help you solve a specific problem that you've deemed you need to solve as an organization. Then that makes sense. But don't lead with, I'd like to deploy AI within our organization. Where can we do it? Because that's what a lot of groups are doing. It's more, oh, absolutely. what is the most valuable to my members? What can I do? And then then figure out the best technology to do that. So Joy, tell me a little bit about your leadership style and who and what has had the greatest influence on on that. I started out as an intern, you know, with our firm. Dr. Don Nelson has passed away and Dr. Chet is still active in the partnership. The core of our founding of our organization, we always would say, you know, we see things differently and we have an unwavering passion for testing and validating with our customers to build solutions that they want to use and consume. And so my leadership style, I'm very innovative, very energetic, but ultimately it's the culture of understanding that forever we are testing ideas, we're measuring ideas, we're killing ideas. Failure is great. You don't want to fail on everything because then you have no business, right? <laughs> yeah. but, but you know what I'm getting at. Like yeah. failure is very much accepted and candidness. I mean, one of our values in our company is candid. And that candid value really drives home a lot of what we try to get, not only out of our people, but then also our customers, being able to have transparent conversations of when things are working, we celebrate and kudo every day. We we have kudoing events every single day with our team members all over the country. But then also when we have problems, we talk about it and we call it red dot items, Sherry. And it's okay to talk about red dot items. Uh, I love that. Yeah. It allows you to bring it up and say to your team members, Hey, I'm struggling with this, or we're behind on this, or I need some help with this. And being able to openly talk about things that are going well and also things that maybe aren't going as planned allows the company to collectively learn and grow and solve those problems. And we like failure. Like it, it's good if we're testing an idea, whether it's a marketing idea or a, a new feature idea and something or whatever it might be, it's okay. We have the measurement in. It sets an expectation that we need to measure everything. And when things go well, we're excited. Let's double down on that. Let's put more into that. When it's going sideways or doesn't feel good, then we kill it. And everybody feels good about that, right? Because there was some meaning and measurement behind it too, not just gut feeling, which there's always a yeah. level of gut, but right. ultimately. So our style is really that. I mean, that has been not only in Proteus, the company that I run, but many of the companies that we built software for and our investors in and, and scale around the country, that methodology is, is at the core of those firms where it's continuous innovation, transparency, candidness, and ultimately, you don't have a company or an organization or a membership unless you're listening to them and mm -hmm. always being customer first or member first, because that's going to be your guidepost for innovation. You can have ideas, but then you can validate it against them. They can add their additional layers to that. And then that's where true innovation or experiments can happen to move you forward. So Joey, you talked a few minutes ago about your role on boards and nonprofit boards. What do you think are the qualities that boards need today to be successful? It's oh, a great question. I won't name names for the, for the <laughs> sake of it, but I'll tell you what, there's a board I'm on that as a software innovator, an investor in software and things you would not think they would have sought me out to be on their board. And hmm. because many boards are designed for comfort. That's a good point. Uh-huh. 
I like and that. So it's friends, it's people they know, it's peers, it's a cocoon where this organization, which is a substantial organization, they had a board and an executive meeting and said, we need to change or we're going to die. And we need to rethink how we're doing a lot of things. And there are now multiple board members in this group that are completely from different industries, completely different backgrounds that are all contributing different things as we reinvent and scale the company into the next generation of its life. And that I think is one of the, why I took it because I thought mm-hmm. at the beginning, I'm like, oh, this is a bunch of BS. You know, uh, we need a tech guy or something, you know, let's check the yeah. box. Oh, we got a tech guy now. But then when we got into our first couple of meetings, it was like, let's decouple. Let's look at innovative ways we're doing things. How are we structuring our charity relationship? How are we handling our different financial relationships? I mean, just everything. How are we handling our investments? All of that. And they really wanted to bring in different perspectives mm-hmm. and different journey maps to really not shake up like, come in and fire everybody. It's not like a private equity deal where we're coming in and like fire everybody, reload, reload the deck. <laughs> what it was is I'm sure Sherry, your listeners, like it's the whole Jahari window, right? When you've been in an industry for so long, you think this way, you're educated this mm-hmm. way, you're coached this way, your peers are all thinking the same way. Everybody's going this way. And then you say that in a board meeting and somebody simply says, why are we doing it like that? Uh, well, that's, that's kind of how we've been doing it well, I'm in this industry and this is how we do it. And it's very cost-effective doing it that way. Could that be something we could do? Or you see what I'm getting at? So it's- it's Oh, absolutely. It's, As you're ta- talking about that, it's like, I'm thinking about all these medical associations that we do work for. They're, they're all medical members. They're all medical. All they're, medical. Yeah. And they're all on the board. They, As you said, they all think alike. They've all known each other forever. And there's a lot of politics, right? Because Tons of politics. Joey's, Tons of politics. Yep. Joey's telling Sherry to vote this yep. way or whatever. Yep. Right? And Jim's like, been a member of Jim's been a member yeah. for 30 years. So now he should be on the board, right? Or Tiffany's the president. And that's yeah. why I was impressed with the group because the group have a member advisory board that and put those individuals there. And, and they obviously have to be represented on the real board. But, right. but ultimately, if you're thinking that your organization, you know, the definition of insanity, Sherry, is doing the same thing and expecting different outcome, right? Like that's the same thing with these boards, right? You, I love you this, keep yeah. bringing in the same cats. Well, then you're going to get the same meow. It's going to be the same, (laughs) right? Like, it's just going to be the same, right? Like, at the end of the day. And so I look at it, my company is obviously not a nonprofit enterprise. We're for profit. But the equivalent to that in my world is mentors, where I get on the telly with somebody and I tell him or her what I'm doing. And they're like, Joe, that's stupid as hell. And they might be (laughs) in the auto industry, right? And they're telling me because I'm looking for their feedback. And they feel candid enough to just say, Joe, that's that's jabroni. Or you might want to think about this. And you're like, holy cow, how did I not yeah. think that? Right. Like, how did I not think that? That is like so elementary. You, you just get caught in kind of this is how it goes. And so I, I think if some of your members are looking to really candidly address and don't bring these board. And when you recruit the board member, you need to be transparent with them of what they're getting into. I didn't immediately accept it. And I said, what is my role? in this what truly are you asking of me like what is it that's when we looked at it we might have to do acquisitions of tech companies so they wanted somebody who had a lot of tech experience right but they had already figured out a strategy a high level strategy which you and i were talking about earlier know your customer what are the needs of their customers etc okay now let's then get a whole bunch of board members and we don't need to be there for 30 years i don't want to be a board member for 20 years for this group (laughs) 
right? Mm -hmm. My time to value can expire. This is what should happen in Congress in America, but but, separate podcast, podcast. but I I don't want to be on this board for 18 years, right? I want to come into this board, share my natural talents, share my areas of opportunity and relationships and get the group to the next level and gracefully get out of the way, right? Because somebody else is going to be more valuable to the group. So I do hope I get fired. I do hope I get kicked out, right? The by design, because then I know I've done my job. And that's a spirit that I'm not sure it's very common in for-profit, still not as much as I think it should be, but in the foundation slash, you know, purpose group, I think it's a real healthy way to bring a lot of fresh ideas and a way to think about things differently and start to connect the dots on the next generations of, of your organization. Yeah, that's some really great thoughts. It's helped me kind of think about things differently because you're right. And whatever industry that industry X, right? They're yeah. all the same people that think the same way that don't have the experience of somebody from a different industry yeah. or different, well, and I, and you I know. Dare, I don't want to get into the, the lower level dynamics of that, but a lot of the times, and let's just be transparent, a lot of the times that is senior members too, right? Oh, so, sure. so you've got boards mm-hmm. that are then rewarding somebody who's been a member for 20 years, they're on the board. The problem is, here we go, right back to step one of this entire podcast, know your customer. Well, I hate to break the news. Tiffany and Tommy, who are 65 or 55, are not where the problem is for the association or the membership group. Their biggest problem is Jessica and Joey, who are trying to become or are 25-year-olds who are trying to understand, do I need to be a part of this association? Yeah. And their needs, wants, and desires of Jessica and Joey are completely different than Tim and Tiffany or too many names here. I'm getting, yeah. but I think the listeners <laughs> know what, I'm, what yeah. I'm going for. You know what I mean? Like, and, yeah. and that again is another layering effect of the disconnect of know your customer and what services we should be doing. Absolutely. So Joey, I've been asking people this final question I have for you. And I know I've like keeping you over time and you're really busy. So I feel bad about that, but this is such a great conversation. It's always so fun to talk to you. So how do you think the role of associations in society is changing? Do you think it's expanding, contracting, being completely reshaped? Do you think organizations need to be revisiting their missions? I think you kind of alluded to that earlier, or do you think you see them taking on different kind of kinds of responsibilities? They all have to change. The business model of any association, whether purpose-driven, you know, medical association, financial association, chamber kind of, you name it, you know what I mean? Any kind of, you look back 10 years, the future of these organizations needs to be dramatically different. And the consumption models and how they deal, work with their members and their constituents just fundamentally has to change. As you know, kind of the lockdown methodology for years and for a hundred years was knowledge and information, right? Like knowledge Mm -hmm. and information was the bailiwick of an association. Like we're getting you access to stuff that you might not be able to get yourself. Well, I know quite a few private equity companies that are working with with institutions, nonprofits, and medical colleges and other places building language models and all sorts of information around medical and just all sorts of stuff, right? Not just Mm -hmm. medical. That information eventually is going to make its way to the open domain. And much of it is there already. And even more innovation is going to make it to the open domain, meaning anybody can get to it. Right. And so, so that used to be the primary product offering of an association. And that is incrementally 
being reduced in value, like just because of access to it, the access is completely changing. And so I think the associations that understand that, but then identify that there are other opportunities and benefits that they could provide to their members that maybe isn't just solely in the LMS world or any kind of group. That I think is where their future lies. Because again, you have to think to yourself, if you're running an association and your association is 50 years old, what do you think the everyday life of one of your members is going to be in 20 years. So 2044, what does the day in the life of your member look at for the industry you're in? And probably, you know, it's going to be vastly different than it is today. So you have to understand the customer now and work with them over the next 20 years to ensure your future, basically. A lot of the times, and bear with me, Sherry here, but a lot of times it felt like with a lot of associations, there was worthy experts, you're joining us. We're going to educate you. Yep. And there's a power dynamic there. And that was based on information. The challenge now is the individual has access to all of that. And in many cases can innovate faster than the association can and learn more and apply more faster. So the power in essence is shifting, at least in my perception. There might be quite a few of your listeners that think I'm crazy, but I do believe that with the access to information the technologies, the tools, the ability to collaborate with anybody around the world in real time and solve problems and do all these things really will shake up the model of associations that heavily rely on education and those types of models to to service their membership. They're going to have to identify additional ways of providing value to their member base. Totally agree. Absolutely. We talked about whether it's how they're consuming information, you know, their overall experience and and really, you know, what does that member look like now that is joining or ne- wants to engage and how do they want to engage in, in the organization? And I think it's a critical time that associations really need to take a step back and look at the value. I mean, I'm having a lot of conversations with association CEOs who are calling me with a particular problem and they're seeing decline in membership and they're seeing declines in consuming their certifications and all those things. Frankly, they're blaming it on a marketing problem. A hundred percent, but it's, it's and the classic. We're like, yeah. This, and we're like, I think is, it's a value problem. <laughs> those are symptoms and there's a real problem. And I always talk about this. It's the difference between Eastern and Western medicine. So Eastern medicine Take a lot of painkiller. You won't feel the problem. You continue on with your life. Western medicine, let's get down to the problem. And what's the root cause of the problem, right? Lack of membership, lack of people coming to the conference might not be marketing. It's it's a symptom of a more bigger problem for the association. And so what they're doing is kind of blame game instead of the reflection that we were talking about earlier and talking to their customers members on where the value chain needs to be, right? And that's the symptom instead of the root problem. And yeah. the groups that don't go after the root and the root, no one wants to go after. No one wants, no, it's not a, it's not a fun hard. journey. It's yeah, not a fun that's... journey, right? Because it's again, self-reflection as an organization. What are we doing right? What are we doing wrong? What was our hypothesis? Are we right or wrong? Mm, we were wrong. Well, own it and own it now. Don't own it five years from now, because if you own it five years from now, your membership has cut another 25% and you might not have enough runway and the talent on your team to get there, right? Because a declining association, their number one challenge is recruiting the talent. If they want good talent, they have to look like they have a good vision and mission. No one wants to go to a sinking ship. 
yeah. people like to join ships that are moving really well and have a vision for the future. I love that. So I'm going to leave it with that, Joey, because that's a great way to end our podcast today. So anybody has any questions for you, wants to get in touch with you and learn more about yourself or your company, how can they do that? Easiest is my email address. It's J-K-N-E-C-H-T at Proteus. P-R-O-T-E-U-S dot C-O, just dot co. Great. Well, thank you so much, Joey, for your time today. I love talking to you and it's always so much fun. So I can't wait till we see each other, hopefully in person again yeah. soon. <laughs> yeah, make sure. <laughs> we hope you enjoyed this episode and discovered tips and information that will add value to your leadership style and your association. .org Source specializes in positioning teams for success with solutions for technology, strategy, and marketing please contact us at info at orgsource.com or visit www.orgsource.com to find out how to keep your organization on track to Association 4.0.